So in property, we talked about intellectual property, and this is really only a brief overview of intellectual property because obviously it is so vast, so intricate that it requires a lot of exploration into each of the subcategories. Today we're talking about three subcategories and then one defense. Uh, the three categories of intellectual property is uh, copyright, patents, and trademarks. And then when, as far as the defense goes, it's a copyright defense and it's the fair use doctrine or the fair use defense. So those are going to be the three things that we talk about, copyright, patents, and trademarks, and how they each uh, build up this large, broad category of intellectual property. Let's start with copyright. Uh, the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, uh, says that the purpose, uh, well, illustrates one of the powers of Congress, and that power is to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right into the respective writings and discoveries. So we have here the elements of the copyright. First is that it needs to be an, an original work. That just means it's not copied. It needs to be authored, and it needs to be fixed. And what that means is it needs to be a physical work of some kind. And that can include, obviously, uh, digital work as well. So what are the kinds of authorships that are available? Well, there's really eight main categories, just to rule through them real quick. There's literary works, music, dramas, uh, dances, choreography, uh, pictures, graphic sculptures, uh, motion pictures, sound recordings, and arch architectural works. So those are the elements of how to meet a copyright. And so let's talk about this statute, well, this section of the Constitution real quick. It states both the purpose of having copyright and it really patents as well, but since we're focusing on copyright, it states the purpose of the copyright and it states the power associated with that purpose. The purpose is to promote science and useful arts. And to promote that useful arts, Congress is given the power to limit how long copyright lasts. And the reason for this, the policy reasoning, is if you limit this, well, then people are allowed to use this information to further additional science and arts. So you don't want to keep it too long in ownership of the creator, but you also want to ensure that it is protected. So it's all about finding this balance. And that was the case in Eldred versus Ashcroft. What happened in this case is, well, previously, let's just say, the expiration on Mickey Mouse was about to run up. Uh, the copyright for Mickey Mouse. Uh, the previous statute uh, said that it would copyright lasted for the life of the author plus another 20 years. Mickey Mouse was about to run, so a whole lot of lobbying had ended up occurring and ended up passing the CTEA, which is the Copyright Term, I think, Extension Act, something like that. Um, and what that did is that it changed it to the life of the author plus 70 years. So it added a whole other 50 years to this. And Eldred is challenging this because he had developed a website that was the library, like a library of free use materials uh, where the copyright had run. And he was like, well, this is 
unconstitutional because it's not furthering the purpose that the Constitution tried to establish. And the reason for that is because you're trying to protect companies, not science and art. So now that you really have this debate about whether or not which part of the constitutional clause you want to enforce, the furthering of science and arts, or the congressional power to establish the term of how long a copyright lasts. So that's really the whole debate of this case. Uh, it's strongly a con uh, constitutional argument debate and a policy-based argument uh, kind of combined into one. It's, it's a little fun. But anyways, after the copyright, you have the fair use defense. The fair use defense is if somebody infringes on the copyright or if they're worried about infringing on the copyright and the copyright owner comes after them, it's something you can claim saying that the material I copied was fair use. And because it was fair use, I did not infringe on the copyright. As a result, I can't be punished. That's really what the defense is saying. And it is set forth in 17 U.S.C. section 107. And it says, use of a copyright work for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, including multiple copies for classroom use, scholarship, or research is not an infringement of copyright. That's in the fair use doctrine. And there are several factors that the court considers to determine whether or not fair use has happened. They are going to consider the purpose of the use, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount of substance the amount and substance of the copyright used and the effect of the cop of the market based off of the use of that copyright material. We have here our case was Harper and Row Publishers versus Nation Enterprises and the court just ran through each of these elements. What we learn is that if the purpose is commercial, that's negative for the person trying to claim the defense, but if the purpose is based in the statute such as news reporting, that is a positive for the defense. When it comes to the nature of the copyright, nonfiction is more fair use. Fiction is not more for, is not con generally considered fair use. Um, when it comes to the amount and the substance, minimal means fair use, but very substantive parts, even if minimal, is not considered fair use. And finally, the market value, obviously, if it's minimal, that benefits. Uh, the fair use defense, but if it's a vast influence on the market, well then that diminishes away from the argument of a fair use defense. Moving into patents, patents are just inventions uh, where an inventor has the right to exclude others from using their inventions. They go to the USPTO, uh, United States Patent and Trademark Office, and they register their patent and there are five elements that these registrations need to meet in order to be issued a patent. First is that it needs to be patented subject matter. So that's going to be a process, a machine, something that you manufacture, uh, or a composition of matter. You can't patent uh, certain laws of nature, uh, such as math and uh, certain algebraic, <laughs> algebraic formulas, things like that. Uh, second element is it needs to have utility, meaning it needs to be useful, and even if that use is minimal, that counts. It needs to be novel, so it needs to be new. It needs to be non-obvious, uh, meaning that a person with normal skills wouldn't just think about it and do it naturally. 
and then it needs to be enabled and that's referring to the description of the patent saying that it needs to be detailed enough to enable a person to recreate and use if that was the case. Uh, the big takeaway from patents, they last 20 years, but they are also fragile because a lot of them are patented. But if they're challenged, well, some of these elements may not be met. Uh, so it's very easy to challenge a couple of those things, uh, specifically uh, the novelty, the non-obvious parts of those elements. Finally, we have trademarks, and trademarks are sounds, symbols, words, and each of those things can be to give a feeling of what is actually being conveyed. And so it, you could close your eyes, hear a sound, and you would know exactly what that sound is referencing to because you associate it with that company. Another thing to note is that trademarks are associated for that trade. So Delta is trademarked in different trades. Delta, you have the airline, there's another Delta, they're not both related to airlines, and as a result, there can be multiple trademarks for the word Delta, it's just different because they're in different trades and that's not an infringement of a trademark. While patents and copyright have the goal of increasing the arts and sciences as outlined in the constitutional uh, clause, trademarks are designed to protect consumers, and it does so by uh, protecting companies who create their trademarks, and it shows that this is really a good quality product, so it keeps consumers protected from poor products. The elements for a trademark means that it needs to be distinctive, so that means that the, it, it needs to be different from other products in that trade. Uh, it can't be functional, meaning it can't have a use. And if it has a use, it's not a trademark. It needs to go to the patent. Uh, and then third, uh, first use in trade. And this goes into that what I was saying earlier, where you can have different trades. But if you are in that trade, you need to be the first one to get that patent. If, uh, sorry, that trademark if you want that trademark. So that is an overview of intellectual property. We've got our three categories, copyright, patent, and trademark. And as far as copyright infringement goes, we have the fair use doctrine as our defense. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro, and you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is, if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.